You're listening to Pluck and Grit, a podcast about the University of Alabama over the past 50 years. I'm Mary Lieb. And I'm Joey Weed. I was drawn to the challenge of being great there. So it's all these sort of competing, sometimes complementary visions that end up in a kind of messy world, you know, becoming a major university. I remember it being like probably the best time of my life. I don't have a golden book to give to anyone, but I can give you some pages out of the book. The quadrangle, what's considered holy ground, that was the center of the universe. It's those aha moments from somebody who's outside of our race, outside of our culture, to tell us this reality from their world. So that was a really good time to be a student at the university. Because this is Alabama, we wanted it to be memorable and great. In this episode, we talk to two local Tuscaloosa businesses whose partnerships with the university have helped shape, preserve, and highlight UA's campus culture. In this first part, listen in on our conversation with Gary Limroth, owner of Zap Photography, and then we'll turn to Lindsay and Michael Wright at J&J Apparel for their expertise. Thanks for tuning in. Picture this. You're at a party, and you're with your friends, and you're having a great time. Your favorite song comes on, you're dancing around, you're having the time of your life. And then, a stranger comes up to you with a camera and snaps a photo. That's a zap. This scene has been replaying itself for the past 40 years. Through the bid-day reveals, the big hair of the 80s, the denim of the 90s, one thing has remained constant. Zap has been there. From film rolls to memory cards, they have attended literally thousands of events and taken millions of photos. And while we can't show you all of those photos... Because we're a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We decided to talk to the voice behind the camera. Gary Lebroth. (laughs) I I actually bought Zap after it had been around for one year. And I think initially, you know, as younger, I was like the president and, and I've demoted myself after a couple of years to general manager. So that's kind of the title I prefer. (laughs) What makes Gary's path a little unconventional is that he has no formal training in photography or business. He bought the Zap Photography business from a team of students in 1974, and four decades later, he still owns and operates it. But Gary's background wasn't so different from the students he bought it from back in the 70s. Originally, it was started by four broadcast and film students from the university. And the requirement was, that was posted on the bulletin board, must have $50. And only one of them knew anything about photography. So they decided to go and do this first at Auburn, so if they made any mistakes, that they would make them there versus here, which is what they did. And so within a few months, they figured it out. And they came here and started operating. Like any good business model, these students recognized a weakness that their competitors had. Their competitor was a firm that if you were in a picture, you had to buy it. I mean, any picture you were, you were accidentally walking in the background, there were people that got charged for pictures because they printed one for every face. So if there were 50 people, they printed 50 pictures and build the organization, which was a great model if you get somebody to do that. And that's where Zap's model filled in the gaps. Our model was purely speculation. You don't pay us anything to come. We shoot pictures. If we do a good job, you order pictures from a proof sheet by signing up underneath. We only sell you the pictures you'd like. We wondered if that was terrifying or not for a student-run business, a model built in uncertainty. I have to tell you, I love the speculation model. I thrive on that because it means you have to do a great job every time you go out. I think it puts on you to be 100% 
100% of the time. A year into the founding of Zap Photography, there's a small fire, which Gary thinks kind of spooked the original students. So Gary buys the business from them with a promise of a percentage of that next year's earnings. But here's the thing. He didn't actually turn a profit the following year. I didn't make any money the first year, so there was nothing to give them. But then I still gave them money anyway because I felt like it wasn't their fault. I just I needed to, I just felt bad about it because I realized that you have to buy more equipment. There's a lot of capital cost involved in this. It was a learning curve. As the years went on, Zap recovered strong, and Gary and his staff worked to expand their business. As students, we're most familiar with Zaps, photos from a variety of on-campus events, mostly sorority and fraternity parties and swaps, but other organizations too. But Zap Photo actually works at local high schools and in local sporting events, as well as other graduations at different universities. We'll touch on some of those events later, but what's really intriguing is how the photos made it from film roll into the hands of students since the 1970s. Gary told us how the process worked, both before digital cameras and afterwards. Bear with us. This process uses planes, trains, and automobiles. All right, deep breath. On any given fall semester Thursday night, Zap photographers are in 15 different events. Sorority and fraternity swaps, parties, organization gatherings, formals, etc., etc. And after closing time, they drop off their film rolls around 1 a.m. at the Zap offices. Another team sorts and labels these roles, basically gets them ready to go to the photo lab. Usually, they would be able to express mail the rolls of film to the photo lab in Oklahoma City and get them back. But towards the end of the semester, Gary says it was crunch time. I would turn around and I would be the one that would get up at 4 a.m. to drive it to the airport in Birmingham, put it on a plane, and in some cases I actually rented a room for a day, waited for the lab to get it. They would actually process and proof it that day, put it back on an evening flight, and at 9 o'clock I would pick it up from the airport, drive it back here, we'd have people at our office. After the film and proofs had traveled all that way, Gary and his team would number the proof sheets and drop them off at the houses before students even woke up for breakfast. Eggs with a side of photo proofs. We're big on customer service. I mean, whatever it took, that's what we need to do. Now, in a traditional deal, we would just send them express mail. We'd go down to the post office and it would normally be there a day later. But on those weekend events or toward the end of the semester, our goal was, you know, we want to provide the best customer service. The proof sheets would sit at the houses for a week. And then Gary would pick up the order forms and those proofs. Although some of the process has changed, even with digital cards, Zapphoto still uses hard copy proof sheets over digital ordering forms. You know, having the printed proof sheets, though, at Alabama, it's still fun because people can kind of see what other people, you know, if they may have missed a picture in somebody else, they got, they see somebody's name, they oh, yeah, I wanted to get that picture, too. And it's a camaraderie of kind of, I'll go into a sorority house, and they're literally passing these sheets around as they're looking at it. So looking at the proofs is kind of an event. To itself, whereas if you're looking at them in your dorm or an apartment, it's a very much of a solitude deal. There's really not much interaction to it, so we really find that it's it's really not the best way to do to view our pictures. If you're keeping track, that's the second trip Zap makes to the houses: once to drop off the proof sheets and another to pick up the orders. So now, once those orders are placed and the photos come back, Gary's team has another task. And then we would have to. 
to mark all those, send them to our photo lab, and they would literally have to write the names of everybody on the back of the picture. And then when we got them back, we would literally have to alphabetize them all by hand in big stacks on the floor and put them in alphabetical order, then by hand make out these detailed billing lists. And then we would deliver the the pictures. So that was really three trips to organization. He says that the digital age makes that last step a little easier. The photo lab can now print each order together, but much of the process is still the same. We're the only customer in the country that still does these printed proof sheets, but we do it as I said, to protect our organizations. These organizations often have to abide by strict standards set by their national chapters. So we wondered, what happens to those more embarrassing photos? Original model where we would talk about that we would shoot pictures on film, and then we'd have to print out literally printed proof sheets, deliver them to the house, and they'd look at them. If there was some picture that got by, we would try to catch it in our office. But let's say that we didn't consider it embarrassing, but somebody else might consider it embarrassing. Well, then they call us up and then we literally go over there with an X-Acto knife and we have a label <laughs> that says removed by Zap so we know we removed it. But now the digital days, it's actually a little bit easier because one, we train the photographers to have good judgment, to shoot something. But sometimes when it's a very dark place and things are going on and you're shooting in a hurry, you don't even notice that it was something that might potentially be embarrassing. So with digital, before the before they're printed for proof sheets, we actually scan them all and edit them. And we look at them then. And if we think there's something that's potentially embarrassing, we just go ahead and don't put it on the proof sheet. And if it happens to get by us, then somebody contacts us and we can literally remove that image and mark it on our server so it's deleted and it can never be printed. Now, even today when it seems like nearly every student has a smartphone in their pocket, Zap and the Greek organizations seem to have an unspoken rule. Let Zap handle the event photography. And it's for a pretty simple reason. They're our partners. I mean, we don't want something. We don't want to embarrass the person. We don't want to embarrass the organization. And we certainly don't want to embarrass the university. And in fact, probably touching on that is you probably assume because we're in digital now that our stuff is online. And none of our stuff at the University of Alabama for our organizations is online. The things we do for the younger people, they are intentionally not online for that very reason, that something, as you know, can an image can get out, it can go viral, and we want to prevent that. They're our partners. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's in their best interest. It's in mm-hmm. our best interest. If there's something and, and suddenly they're on probation, then we have nothing to shoot either. Aside from those evening events, one of the more difficult things Zap covers is bid day. The University of Alabama has the largest sorority rush in the country. This past year, roughly 2,800 women went through the process, and upwards of 90% of those women pledged a Greek organization. So you've got over a dozen groups of 300 excited, happy girls who are just starting this new chapter of their lives. That means Zap needs 75 photographers on sorority row, capturing all of these emotions. And Gary actually brings in photographers from around the country to help take those big group shots. He's kind of like the crimson tide of student organization photography. I kind of compare it to Nick Saban in that most teams prefer to play a patsy for their first game. And Nick prefers to start with one of the toughest teams he can find because then you know you have to be ready and you have to know what you have. Well, it's kind of the same thing for us. We start out on the very biggest event that we'll do all year. So Gary and these photographers at other heavily Greek schools kind of make trades for these huge bid days. I go and shoot at the University of Missouri. 
In turn, you know, I get two photographers from them. I go to North Carolina. Uh, that's the deal in order to have those those people. Because it's not you tell me, but you're, you're shooting it under with a lot of pressure. You've got 300 yelling, excited students in front of you. You've got incredible heat. In fact, one year it was 114 degrees. It was the hottest place in the United States on that day. And 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 act after that year, I went out and spent several thousand dollars for special cooling vests for our group photographers that are only used one day a year. We put them in storage and bring them out. But we were scared that when you're standing on a ladder, because we had literally had girls pass out in the pictures. The heat was so bad. And it's after this big event that the Zap photo schedule really begins for UA. My God, I went off to college in in '69. And I never left. And I still go to the best part. I was in a fraternity. But it's funny because then after that, I got to go to all the great fraternity and sorority party. One you always wonder about. I wonder how that party is. And it's not always a fun and happy time. Gary and the staff photographers have to know when to draw the line. But we had a fraternity one year that just wasn't fun to shoot. And and we basically fired them. And they came to us and went, well, you, our biggest party's coming up. You'll make good money off of it. And I had to tell them. I'm not driven by money. And, you know, money's, it's okay, but it's not an end goal to me. And I said, you're not fun to shoot. And our photographers don't enjoy shooting you. And so we literally didn't shoot them for three years. We tell the photographers, generally, they are the greatest people to be around. I mean, really, it's people going and having fun and you're capturing it. But as in any organization, there are always a few people at any given time that aren't fun. And it's always sobering to recognize the power of photography, how each photo of someone could be their last. And this goes for other unpredictable disasters, too. Things like fires, tornadoes. Gary has worked to replace some of those lost photos. I've had a couple instances where we shot the last pictures of somebody while they were alive. Of students. I mean, one, one minute they were alive, and in one case it was a girl literally had a heart attack during rush week. And I remember that we do what we always do. We find any of the pictures they were in, and, and we print them for free and, and give them to the parents. And, and I ran to this mother you know, about six months later, and, and she told me, said, you know, I never realized how important those pictures were until this happened. You know, and I and she said I still have another daughter in college, and I've told her to buy every picture that she's in. Zap photography only recently transitioned to digital cameras about five years ago. The quality of photos wasn't as good as film. You just had more options when it came to shooting in dark places. So Zap would shoot the photos in film, and then the lab would later digitize the photos. Unfortunately, not all of Zapp's records go back into the 1970s, just because of the sheer amount of storage it took to save 200,000 photos worth of camera rolls each year. They had boxes and boxes and storage units full of rolls of film and proofing pages, but now servers with huge storage sizes are less expensive, and that helps ease the burden of storage space. We're not in the photo business, per se. We're in the preservation of memory business. I hear from people that, you know, that look back and 20 years later and say, man, I was going through those, you know, really is a history of some of the great times I had in college. I I love that we're preserving memories. After 40 years, Gary has taken photos of parents, their children. And at this point, he says it's only a matter of time before he'll be taking photos of their grandkids. And as Zap continues to work to be a leader in organization photography, they're toying around with facial recognition. So 
maybe in as near as a few years, you'll be able to buy a package upon graduation of every Zap you have ever been in. There's no question, Zap has made its mark on UA's campus. Gary gave us some numbers and we decided to do some math here at Pluck and Grit. Now, on average, Zap takes 200,000 photos per year, and they've been in business for 42 years, and they do about 60 events a month. We had to adjust for the university's dramatic growth and use previous enrollment benchmarks. We multiplied average, put in a margin of error, and we think there could be around 5.2 million photos. And that's a lot of memories preserved. Lindsay and Michael Wright are also in the business of preserving memories. As students at the university in 2005, they worked to help build the foundation of J&J Apparel. Much like Zap documents events with photography, J&J print shirts, cups, hats, basically anything you can screen print on to help commemorate campus happenings. J&J works closely with the UA Greek system, and you might be familiar with their t-shirts even if you don't know it. To put it simply, if you see a shirt on campus, there's a large chance it was designed or printed by J&J Apparel. We'll let the voices behind the print shop introduce themselves. Michael Wright, and I'm co-owner of the company and handle our Greek division. Lindsay Wright, I am Michael Wright's wife, and I handle with all Greek and I ran our web store. J&J started actually when I was in high school. My brother started it um, in 2004 and then um, I came to college in 2005 and started you know helping him with Greek accounts and different things like that. Um, by the time I graduated pretty much handled all the Greek accounts at Alabama. Um, Nick, my brother, he now is 50% owner of the company and he does more of like our corporate and retail side. Um, also does stuff with high schools and things like that. I, um, as a junior, needed a job, and so um, Michael and his brother let me come on and just do some small tasks, like answering the phone, um, making all those stickers that go on the shirts with everyone's name, tagging orders in the back. Both of them have been very involved since the beginning of the company and have helped to continue expanding J&J's business. In fact, Michael's name is part of what the letters J&J and J&J Apparel represent. It actually comes from my dad's business, J&J Associates. Um, he's in direct mail and advertising, and um, but it's all three of our middle initials. Uh, me, Michael Joseph, my brother, Jay Nicholas, and my dad, Billy Joe. Although J&J is based in Tuscaloosa, they also work with other universities, mainly in the Southeast. Steadily, we're at about four universities that we have a large customer base. Um, here, Auburn, Georgia, um, and then I, I guess you could go to Ole Miss as well. Um, but we have clients at 15 or 16 different universities, um, but it may just be one or two uh, organizations, but we're working on growing that. So. We actually don't solicit our business ever, so we only take people that are seriously interested in working with us, um, and we always make sure that before agreeing to do something like that, we can take on you know the customer service aspect, providing the great artwork, all of that. So we've done a slow expansion, but I feel like it's been a really good one. J&J works hard to cater to the individual needs of organizations and works to do that through word of mouth and an organic expansion process. Friends see friends' shirts and they reach out to J&J and the client list grows from there. We actually get that a lot, especially after holidays. It'll, it's just constantly, my friend, you know, had this t-shirt on, I loved it, you know, I'm not satisfied who, with who we're using now, so can you, you know, tell us about what you do? So. Yeah. yeah, there's a, a lot of people can 
put a magazine out there and, and talk the talk, but then once you get overloaded with things and you can't fulfill what you know the customer wants, um, you know that's when stuff starts going downhill. So we've tried to just slowly, you know, word of mouth. Uh, the students will go home over Christmas break, and um, you know, somebody from another college might be like, "Hey, I like your T-shirt. Where'd you get that?" And pretty much that's how we've gotten all of our out-of-state business. You see them everywhere, just because people's parents buy them a lot, especially the game day shirts. They they have moms and dads that want want one too, so you see those a lot. A lot of the game day shirts, you may see somebody buy ten T-shirts, and you're like, "Wow, what are you gonna do?" With in Alabama versus Mississippi State t-shirts but you know when kids come to school here it's like their parents automatically become Alabama fans so you know they'll bomb for their brothers and their sisters. Shirt sightings aren't centralized to the United States though. Customers will take them around the world while studying abroad, going on mission trips, or just traveling. Yeah we saw shirts wandering around Rome or in Innsbruck and it really just kind of gives you you know not a, a, just a cool sense of pride, like, you know, that somebody thinks enough of that t-shirt, you know, or like thinks enough of that artwork that they really like it. And, um, so it's, uh, it's fun to do. You brought it with them to Europe. That's so, really awesome. So did you see them in Europe? Did you mm -hmm. like stop them? We didn't. Um, <laughs> but when Lindsay and Michael aren't influencing European fashion, maybe Milan next, they say collegiate apparel has shaped high school attire as well. As normal, high school kids are going to look up to their older brother and sister in college, and um, we've seen that with local high schools around here and just other high schools that we serve in the state and um, just really around the southeast that we do shirts for. They're always kind of wanting that college look, um, like to order the shirts a little bit bigger, like maybe their older brother and sister do here. Um, so, yeah, I think it definitely, um, you know, the designs and stuff influences the high schools to, to do this kind of style. Now, since Mary and I have been students, there's been this constant joke that students just wear big t-shirts to class. Yeah, the styles have definitely changed. We have a vintage box that we call it vintage from when we were in school that we show customers from time to time. And they, they laugh at how tiny the shirts are. But yeah. And, and also that they're not their, their favorite comfort colors. So yes. that's definitely a new thing. Comfort colors, um, I guess they kind of put on the map around six years ago. And... Um, I want to say that we've had some influence in the growth of their business, but I mean, I can't, they're a hundred million dollar business. I can't take, you know, any name with that, but, um, you know, they started getting popular here in the South and, um, it's just pretty much a monster when it comes to, um, t-shirts, like they're, they're number one, everybody loves them. Um, so it's been good for us. Comfort colors and frockets. I didn't even know what a frock it was until, you know, I came to school. Yeah. Which, that's so. a new word, by the way. Yeah. Um, really? Yes. Uh, when did it come about? Uh, probably about two or three years about ago. About two or three years ago. I, Michael and I still don't use frocket, but, <laughs> but we, don't, frocket. we don't look twice if, if someone says it. <laughs> frocket is a word that contains front and pocket. Frocket. It has snuck its way into college student lingo, and the front pocket usually shows an event's name or date or organization, while the back has a more elaborate design. Which brings us to the process behind how shirts are transformed from the event announcement to delivery at an organization. Each spring, Greek organizations transition to a new leadership team, and with that new leadership team comes a new t-shirt chair, someone in charge of handling shirt requests for events. And each year, J&J repitches their screen printing process. Um, every new t-shirt chairman will come in here and we'll explain our process. And um, you're having to resell your um, 
your scheme, I guess, and, and not just scheme, but your business model to a new person every year. And, you know, we have, I guess, 80 or 90 Greek clients. So you're getting a new boss pretty much each year to tell you, you know, what they want on their T-shirts and how to do it and things like that. And That's one of the unique things about our business is, you know, it is always exciting. There's lots of change. But along with that does come having to reestablish your relationship um, with that new person every year. And, you know, we don't we don't require them to work with us. We, we basically say, you know, here's what we do. You may have may, may not have bought our products in the past, but, you know, we hope you give us a chance. So every time they do, we're glad. The t-shirt chair works with the designers at J&J to figure out how to best complement their organization's brand and the event. Whether that's a tacky Christmas party, jersey-themed swap, or formal, J&J is going to try and give the organization an individualized piece of art. They always contact when they have a party um, or any kind of event, and um, they'll usually explain you know, what they want on the shirt, the date of the event, and um, some are uh, more detailed than others. Some have exactly what they want, and sometimes they're just like, guys, you know what you're doing, you know, go with it. Um, so um, usually, and then we'll um, you know, send the artwork back, make sure that they approve the artwork. We always you know, make sure that they like it, and if they, you know, ask them if this is going to sell, and if not, you know, we can do something different. Um, we do hand draw all of our designs, so we don't, we don't like to have a lot of turnover there, but, um, you know, um, and then as soon as they, you know, approve the shirt, we'll put it online to sell. Overall, it's a pretty collaborative process between the person ordering the shirts and J&J. Once the shirts are delivered to the organizations, students start wearing them immediately. We used to actually have a um, rule when I was in college called two weeks to wash that you couldn't wear the shirt until two weeks after the event. You had to wash it at least twice. So. And while some of those unspoken rules have changed, J&J's current business model has proved so successful that they recently started the expansion process to create their own production facility. You know, we have gotten to a certain capacity of production that kind of goes back to where um, we're, we're talking about how you want to be able to fulfill everything that the customers want and be able to do it the right way and serve the customers. So we decided to open up our own production facility um, to handle some of um, the overflow. And um, we, um, we've actually, um, as of right now, we have uh, 20 new employees that um, some were brought from, or some come from other cities, but mostly from Tuscaloosa, was able to, um, to help out, you know, with our to employ people, you know, inside the city here. Um, and then also it kind of just gives us a more broad um, way of using different screen printing techniques, um, different inks and things like that, uh, really to control the quality as much as anything. Um, so um, just, a, just a way to offer a little bit more to our customers. Events are one thing, but J&J also designs apparel for things that happen on campus, like game day or dead week or any variety of other things, even snowpocalypse. It snowed a lot like three years ago and they called it snowpocalypse. And uh, we uh, did like a broken snow globe with, with um, Big Al and just pretty much the whole campus kind of spilling out of it because, you know, when it snows here in Alabama, people are go nuts. They think it's the end of the world. So um, that was a a really fun design to do and a very popular design among the students. That was just such a memorable weekend, I feel like, for them. Even though it shouldn't have been, they just, they would, now they'll never forget Snowpocalypse and they'll never forget the design, I think. And Michael's favorite shirts to print? Our our favorite shirts are always to do the national champions, of course, (laughs) so naturally. 
So, photos are obviously associated with preserving memories, but Mary and I were curious about the importance of t-shirts for students at a major university. Sizes change, t-shirts take up space, and they're not exactly business professional. In the fashion world, brands are a symbol of self-expression. But in college, t-shirts can be the fabric of someone's identity. I think it gives them a sense of pride of their organization and their, their university. and. Um, you know, I like to think that we offer a product that not a lot of other companies do or, or can, and um, I think that's one thing that the people take pride in here is like you know knowing that what we do for them is going to be custom to exactly what they like, and uh, and whether it's drawing their sorority house or or incorporating their sorority symbol and some kind of different design or whatever it is, um, you know, I think it's more of just. And we try to allow the, the organizations to brand themselves in the way that they want to be branded, you know, and we don't really try to push um, designs on them or, or do any kind of like stock art or things like that. We, you know, want them to be able to, to brand themselves and to, to really, um, you know, do what they want to do. So, Yeah, I think at that age, um, it's just, it is such a transformative time finding out who you are. Um, and I think it's I think it's important at that age to be able to identify with you know being part of the university such a such a large entity and then being part of your organization but then also incorporating that into kind of like the way you show yourself to the world. So I think that's why T-shirts especially are so popular at that age. A large part of offering more to customers is helping support causes that their clients are passionate about. J and J works with a number of organizations to support things like cancer research or especially in 2011. Tornado relief. You know, we um, we were able to raise I think sixteen thousand for the tornado relief. You know, we do a lot of philanthropy work. Um, we do as much as we can pretty much handle with it, and we I hate turning anybody down to do a philanthropy shirt, but sometimes it gets to be like where there's so many. But um, with the tornado, um, you know, everybody here came together, and we were able to um, create a shirt that was like the state of Alabama with um, like nails and wood planks and it and just you know just kind of saying hey we're all here together and, and raise money um, for it to give back to the Red Cross and and, um, and Michael is a lifelong Crimson Tide fan like go to every home game since you were five kind of fan so he loves being able to help support Alabama and its programs. The Million Dollar Band or the Crimson Nats and me being a Bama fan my whole life I just think that's so cool to be able to work with those organizations and um, the A club uh, or any other football, you know, and we were able to um, um, help Knicks kids out. We're big Knicks kids supporters with Miss Terry Saban and um, do the Ask the Bottle shirt. I don't know if you guys remember that one, but raise money for Knicks kids and, um, you know, do a raffle to where we were able to give away free Nick Saban signed footballs um, as a prize if, you know, you had a chance to get it if you bought the shirt. So, um, doing little things like that to help out the athletic program is really special to us as well. For J&J, &J, it's all about bringing people together and uniting an organization with style and comfort. It only makes it better for Lindsay and Michael that they get to keep doing it in Tuscaloosa, where J&J &J Apparel started. You know, we're at other universities and we love doing shirts at other universities, but we always like to take care of our, our guys here the most. Thank you for tuning in for a story about college organizations, local businesses, and preserving memories in multiple forms. This is an episode in a series of stories about the University of Alabama. If you like this, please share our series. We'd like to thank Zap Photography and J&J &J Apparel for speaking with us for this episode. You've been listening to Pluck and Grit. Until next time.